really think it's unfair, totally unfair, and I have a, a complaint against God that you guys have Sami and Nielsen in the same congregation. <laughs> I mean, does that sound fair to the rest of you? No. Not to Canada, not to Chile, not to... Thank God for the praise service this morning. Wow. Or from Puerto Alegre. It's like in, in Santiago, we have several people from a different city in Chile, Concepcion. And uh, the actually, I think the birthplace of the comunidades, the, the Christian community in Chile was in Concepcion. And we have a lot of their people have moved to Santiago for work purposes, and a lot of them have become very strong leaders in our congregation. And I mentioned it to Christian a, a few years back, and he said, um, well, I'm going to pray to God that you send some of them back, <laughs> because they, they really have been the pillar of a, of a couple of our congregations, and it was in a period of time when they didn't have two pianists, <laughs> so, <laughs> and we don't either. Praise God for the, for the praise service this morning, though. I'm going to um, try to be um, concise this morning. I committed myself to speaking slowly. Thank okay, you. yeah. Um, I hope that works. <laughs> I have a couple of friends that are going to tell me if I'm if I'm going if I'm advancing too fast. Huh? We have a lot of people here this weekend that I've never met, and I really don't know where you're all from, or I can't remember. I've heard the names of the countries, and so on the count of three, one, two, three. I want you just everybody at the same time tell me where you're from. Okay? I want you everybody to tell me. Ready? One, two, three. Heaven. Now, the ones who were here last year answered correctly. <laughs> it was a trap. <laughs> and uh, we learned last year that, you know, I, I may live in Chile, and you may live in, in Belgium, you may live in Norway, but there once was a man sent from God, and his name was... Johan, Fredrik, Peter, Pele. The scripture says his name was John. John was from heaven, and so are you. You might live in Sweden, but that's not where you're from. That's not where you're from. Eh... I've had some people ask me if I was going to speak on house churches this morning, and actually um, uh, I'm not. Uh, uh, I, th I think some people were expecting that, because uh, that was the last two years. But the brothers here had a discernment that came about as a result of things that had taken place, and I definitely agreed with that. And so we're actually going to change the topic this morning. But before I do that, I want to make two comments. So first of all, the, the message yesterday from John, you have the presentation. I'm assuming that the audio is going to be available at some point in time. That message needs to be taken in sections and studied with your disciples. Okay? It needs to be dissected and digested. Okay? Seriously. It was... It was, a, it was a foundational word for the church, and it needs to be incorporated into the DNA of your churches and the, the understanding of your disciples. Okay, I encourage you, don't leave that message here. Huh? And don't just take it home in your files. You really need to meditate on that, that the word meditate um, the way um, a cow chews its cud. Those of you who come from a farm, yeah, 
you understand, you know, a cow regurgitates its food and chews it again. That's called the cud, what he's choosing, what he's chewing again. That's the picture for meditation in the Bible. It's the same word as a cow who chews its cud. It gets all the nutrients out before it swallows it a second time. And that's what you need to do with that word. Also, we have a friend of ours who is visiting, uh, just like we all are. We're all visiting. <laughs> but uh, Christer is a good friend of Jan's and mine throughout the years. And he has written a book uh, in, Sp in Swedish, it's in Andra Chance. A Second Chance is the title in English. He has it in, Span in um, Swedish. Actually, it exists in Spanish if somebody wants it. Uh, Swedish, French, and English. Uh, I was privileged to help him do the translation into English. Uh, and um, Christer brought these, but he doesn't want to sell them. Anybody who wants a book in his language can take one. They're on the table back there. You just take one. Read it. After you have read it, make contact with Christer to dialogue about the message of his book. And if then you want to make uh, an aporte, uh, uh, a contribution, you can do so. But the book is not for sale today. You can take it home. You can read it. You respond to him by the email that's on the um, database of this, of this conference, okay? Yeah. Great. Uh, today, as I said, we're not going to be talking about house churches. We're actually going to have a lesson in discipleship, but not how to do discipleship. This is the discipleship. Although I would just do it with one-on-one. -on -one. Today we're going to do it in a, in, a, in a group sense, right? The topic is much deeper and much more extensive than can be given here today. So what I'm going to do is just kind of give a, a sketch in this first hour. By the way, how long, uh, Daniel? I, I need 50? 60 from when I started. I don't even remember when I started. We got problems already. <laughs> yeah, I just let me because I'm actually, I've actually divided this up into two parts, and so I can, yeah, okay. Um, I'm just going to give you a sketch, and then later you can fill in the spaces. Okay, uh, you, it, it needs what I'm going to do today needs much more work, and in fact, I did much more work. I. Um, I don't remember how many slides we ended up with, I guess like 40, and I threw probably that many away because there just isn't time to, to take up everything that we're going to be seeing today. But actually, uh, with the topic being um, the man of God, and, 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 I sh and I show here something that is, can be overwhelming. It can be daunting to take a look at the characteristics that are listed in Scripture about the man of God. Absolutely impossible. It can be mind-boggling. That's what daunting means, to look at this and to say, wow, that's what I have to do. But I boiled it down to some essentials, okay? And um, these essentials, yeah, thank you. Now I have two of them. <laughs> I'll, I'll surely see one of them. <laughs> of these essentials, I just mentioned just a few. For me, the issue isn't being a man. Although that in itself in the world today is quite a challenge. It's quite a challenge. But the issue isn't just being a man. But it's being what Paul calls a man of God. Okay? This involves elements that need perhaps a quick definition. And I have two questions for the power groups. They aren't small groups, remember? We call them power groups after lunch. And the first question is, what is a man in today's world? Give a definition. In today's world, not in the church. 
and not according to Scripture. In today's world where you live in your culture and your life, what is a man? I think sometimes we don't even know. But you need, to, you need to grapple with that question. Okay? And the second question is, what does uh, grapple, uh, deal with, uh, wrestle with, yeah, grapple with. And the second is, um, uh, what does God consider to be a man? And really, like I say, I'm just opening the topic. Okay? This is not... Um, it's not a complete uh, and an exhaustive study. It's just sort of an or- overview that we're actually just going to start on, okay? It's obvious that there are many people from different stations of life here in this group in life and ministry, some people directly involved in ministry and other people also involved in ministry. Um, there, We have, in this group I have talked to, elders and, and pastors and teachers and probably have some apostles and prophets and fathers and husbands and employers and employees and, uh, yeah, disciples, new and old, and some young and some advanced in age. You know, um, uh, Danielle has a real sense of humor. You probably haven't seen that side of him frequently, at least, at least while he's directing a conference. Huh? But in the, on the, in the way here, he, he asked me, he, he says, I'd like to ask you a question. And, you know, when they start with that, you know you're in for trouble. And he, he says, uh, I, I'd like to ask you, you know, what is it like getting old? <laughs> I told him, I don't know, you'd have to find an old person to ask him. <laughs> well, there's some new disciples and some older disciples here, right, some a little more advanced in age. But this topic that we're going to talk about, I think, is really going to hit everybody at some point, okay? Uh, because, and the reason why I make that preface is because we're taking the Paul's, Paul's writings to Timothy, and everybody always kind of puts these writings in a box and say these are for ministers. But I think Paul is talking to men in general, and Timothy specifically just happened to be a minister in Ephesus at the time that he received these letters. And so I take it more of a general, um, a general topic, and I think these scriptures are actually going to be talking to all of us. As we're dealing with some of the essentials I put in here, uh, spirituality is one of the obvious first essentials. I'm just going to make a list. We're not going to go through each one of them. Um, We have uh, a word that... (laughs) What does that mean, Danyan? What did I say? Yeah. Yeah. I know I (laughs) You have to explain. Oh, my. Okay. Magnanimity means it's a generosity mixed with nobility. That is to say it's genuine goodness. Goodness. In Spanish, we have a word bondad. Okay, it's um, it's just a general goodness, humility, resilience, surrender. What is resilience? Resilience is the ability to con- to keep going, to keep going, not to be. Hmm? Persevere. Persevere. Thank you. Great. You also, uh, good, that's fantastic. Yeah, perseverance, that's a better word, tenacity, a tenacious person. Good, good, good. Yeah, committed, right, surrendered person, uh, committed, he's um, uh, a person with dedication to what he's doing, Um, a person with determination, Uh, we're going to deal a little bit more with some of those, there's a tenacity, Obedience is a characteristic. A gentle, firm love. Gentleness, but firmness. Those are not contradictory. What the two terms that are contradictory is strong and firm. Strong can have negative connotations. Firm is almost always positive. 
and we talk about a gentleness or a, a firm love. And obviously, when we're talking about love, the most important being the agape love that loves God and loves our neighbors, and particularly those who have great Excuse needs. Let's go to a me. biblical uh, definition. Jerry, yeah. go back. Yeah. Oh, this, boy. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Now, this is going to take a while. Okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. But you can ask your question. Yeah. Tenacious or tenacity. Tenacity. Stick-to-itiveness. Stick to the job. Persistence. Uh -huh. Keep on going. Keep going. Right. Right, right. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so then we had uh, obedience and gentleness and love. Okay. Uh, I venture here a, a definition. Sure. Somebody wants uh, this... The password to the <laughs> to the Wi-Fi. I, I venture here a definition for manhood, and the reason why I venture it because you have to put several elements together. And this isn't the complete answer to question number two for the power groups. This is just to get started. Okay, masculinity. One definition: biblical manhood is pursuing a humble nature. Uh, mature, responsible, faithful godliness. Those are all adjectives. Okay? Godliness, while, godliness is not, that's a noun. While retaining firm, sensitive masculinity. Okay? It's a, a quite a long definition, but as we're going to see in the scriptures, we need, we need each one of these. Okay. Uh, some questions. Can you read it again, slowly? Oh, sure. We're going to be here all day. <laughs> nah. hmm. Yeah. A biblical manhood I perceive as pursuing humble, mature, responsible, faithful, godliness. Godliness I'm going to define, okay, in just a minute. Okay, godliness. Uh, while retaining firm, sensitive masculinity. Okay. Wonderful. Some questions that we might ask in this uh, while we're going along, and I'm actually going to, as, as my time permits me, I'm going to address some of these anyway. How does a man of God act or react in a given situation? You know, um, uh, is he proactive or reactive? That's a, that's, that is a necessary issue that we have to, we have to deal with, okay? Okay. Um, what are a man of God's primary concerns? Okay. What is important to the man of God? Okay. Uh, for what does a man of God fight? And from what does a man of God flee? And what, uh, where do these men of God originate? Some questions that we're going to be able to answer in some of these texts that I have now. Now, we're going to be talking about Timothy, and um, I, I know Timothy's a special case, okay? And it's not our situation. But basically, the message, the subliminal behind-the-scenes message that Paul is sending to Timothy is this. Be a man. That's the message. That Paul wants, because of the very special situation where Timothy is, which if I have time I will bring up a, a little bit of, but because of that, Timothy needed to be a man. I know we're not in his shoes, or maybe we are. Mm. Yeah, maybe we are. And so Paul is sending this message to his beloved son in the Lord, 
Okay? I feel God's mission on earth depends on our being God's men in every situation, in every sense of the word. We can't forget, and this I'm going to pick this up in the second hour, we can't forget that everything that has taken place here and everything God does in your life and in the church is for a different purpose. You are not the center of God's purpose. You are part of his family, but he has put this family together for a greater purpose. And I really feel that that greater purpose is only served as we really become the men of God that God expects in every circumstance in every sense of the word. If you're not a man of God, you're a man of the world. Or a mix, which is infinitely worse. I want to repeat that sentence. If you're not a man of God, you are a man of the world. Or a mix between the two which is much worse. So let's take a look at the man of God. How does a man of God act or react? We'll start off with with that one. The man of God is definitely proactive. He takes command. Okay, now understand, he's not hard. He's not strong in his own personality, but he does take command. Paul tells Timothy this so many times in this this letter. And he not only takes command, but he uses authority when it's necessary. The man of God has authority and knows how to use it properly. Our problem is, because of abuse we try to eliminate the substance. But you cannot make a law out of the exceptions. Truth is truth, regardless of the exceptions. Proper authority was given to the man of God by God for its proper use. And he does take command and he does use authority when it's necessary. He's not passive when it comes to promoting and projecting the will of God. The man of God is to be a is to be bold in his duty. Take charge. Take charge is a, is a, is an expression that that Paul uses uh, quite often in in this whole uh, expression of this uh, letter. Uh, the, he's he's to be uh, he says even in these two just like scriptures like he did before he's using the verb command command command. I mean he's not he's he's not telling Timothy suggest suggest suggest. He's telling him, he gives him a completely different perspective, a different mindset. He says, command. He has to be bold. Command and teach these things. Uh, don't, uh, uh, and he's, he uses this several times. He says, he says and don't let anybody, uh, what's the word? Look down on you. Just because you're young. There is a, an assertive nature in the man of God, okay? It is God's authority, it's not our authority, okay? It's used to pursue God's objectives and not our objectives. We have to understand that is the proper use of authority. It's God's authority, and it's for his objectives. 
not for ours. But the man of God has authority and needs to exercise that divine given authority correctly and consistently. Even when you're at home with your children, one of the, one of the greatest principles of discipline is consistency. And the same in our work, and the same in the church. Consistency is tremendously important. Whether it's in ministry, in the church, in the family, at work, in society, in the world, men need to be men of God that pursues God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Consistently. Persistently. Victor Rodriguez from Argentina Established in his exposition given in Puerto Alegre, I guess some of the people were here, right? Jean was here and some others were uh, actually uh, heard him. That he, he states that the man of God is resolute and decisive. He makes decisions. <laughs> resolute. He makes, he's, he's resolved about what he, what he does. Okay? He's not, um, <laughs> I don't know, wishy-washy. He doesn't, you know, one day this, another day that. He's, he knows where he's going, and he makes decisions, okay? Um, the man of God is guided by the Spirit of God. Most often take decisions that are not popular in accordance with his convictions in order to ensure that the will of God is done. Many times the decisions we are forced to make are not popular, but we can't seek popularity. We seek God's will to be done on earth just like it is in heaven. I agree. I agree with Victor completely with this. No. Um, and in fact, sometimes, I don't know if you've, if you've come across this, but in, in business sometimes they say a bad decision is better than no decision. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Now, we try to avoid all the bad decisions possible, right? We're trying to follow the Spirit of God. But sometimes we're fallible. But the worst thing we can do is leave people in a vacuum of lack of decision. In ho at home, it's terrible. And I did this. I mean, I, I, you know, uh, I, it's terrible. I, I made some really bad mistakes when I was younger. Not wanting to make unpopular decisions, I didn't make any decision. And making no decision causes them to walk in a vacuum. There's no direction. It produces instability and produces, oftentimes, in children or even in the wife, incorrect decisions on their part. Yeah, we have to be resolute. We have to give direction. Don't make people who rely on you for direction in their lives to walk in a vacuum of authority and responsibility. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to them. The family needs our direction, responsibility, and authority. As I've said, <laughs> this is one of the negative points in, in my life. Um, and I can give you an example. Our son was deciding on where to go to the university. He chose to go to a school in a location that I was uneasy about. I just didn't have any conviction about it. But he and his mother were convinced. Since I didn't have any conviction, I was uneasy about the situation, and they were so convinced that it was the right thing to do, I said, okay. It turned out to be a mistake. And unfortunately, he had to pay the cost for my indecision. When Paul tells Timothy to command certain things, to teach and insist on them, it's because he knows that people need authority in their lives. Normally, we don't like it. Normally, the first reaction is to resist. But it's necessary. 
a proper use of the proper authority for the proper objectives. Let's go to the next question. Okay. What a, are a man of God's primary concerns? All right. Paul, Paul gives us six virtues, actually. Okay, in this text, I, I like them, that we should pursue, okay, which means uh, strive for, okay, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Uh, it's an interesting description. Uh, you could almost say that's what Paul was expecting of this man of God. He said, these are the things that you should try to acquire or achieve in your life. If I were you, I'd make a list of these, or at least write down the text so that you can find it later. What was the question? Uh, the question is, what are a man of God's primary concerns? What, is his, what are his primary objectives? What is he trying to achieve? What is... Um, and I have another question that's almost similar, which is the next one, is what's important to the man of God. But the, I make a differentiation between those two, okay? Um, the, in the original definition um, of, um, of pursue, it's an imperative in the Greek form. Uh, Greek is not like uh, uh, most European languages or English or Spanish, um, it, you have imperatives that are uh, continuous imperatives or point action comparatives. Uh, yeah, uh, can you explain imperative? Imperative is a is a direct command. Uh huh. Right, a, a direct command. And in this case, the best way to translate this this form is to is to translate it continue or keep on pursuing. It's not a one-time thing. You don't achieve it once. This is a lifetime pursuit, a lifetime seeking to develop these qualities. Okay? Um, every day we must follow after these virtues that flow. These, it's curious. These virtues flow from our union with Christ, our intimacy with him. So holiness is not just about abstaining from certain actions. It's about pursuing God. It's about pursuing God's purpose in your life. It's about pursuing the cross and the resurrection in your day-to-day -day life. You don't just say no to sin to be holy. You say yes to God and all that he means, all that he is, and all that he has for you. That's holiness. Well, there's several other virtues that we could talk about, but I just want to point one out today. And that has to do with godliness, the second virtue on this list. Godliness speaks to us of focus. Of focus. And in what, in what sense? It also speaks to us of being aware and alive in the greater other world. That world mentioned in Hebrews. When you were born again, you came alive. Ephesians 2, right? But before you were born again, you went to school, you played soccer, you went to the university, you got your degree, you went to work, you got married, had kids. You weren't dead in this world but you are dead in that greater world in that unseen world in that world that is invisible but real when you came to life you came to life in that world eternity started for you the day you were baptized eternity doesn't start after you have died. Eternity started for you 
the day you were baptized. And you live in a double existence, in a dual existence. You live in this world, but you live in another world that is more real and more permanent than the world that you live in physically. And when we can understand this, godliness has to do with being aware of that world. Godliness has a, has a, a concept of, of not only being aware, but being totally alive in that greater world. If that greater world doesn't exist, or if it didn't exist, to use proper English, if that world didn't exist... Why do you pray? It makes no sense to pray if that world didn't exist. Because when we pray, even though we use physical language, which language isn't physical, but at least, you know, for this reality, you're speaking to someone who lives in that reality. And it isn't that your words are going from here and through the ceiling and through the heavens and through the, the ionosphere and finally they're going to get somewhere up there. No. You're talking to the guy who's sitting right next to you. In fact, he's, not, he's even closer to you than you are to yourself. He is with us and in us. He cohabits this house, your house. When we pray, that's whom we're praying to. That's the other world. That's godliness. That's being able to perceive a reality that nobody else can see. Jesus said, if you're not born again, you won't, what did he say? See the kingdom. The kingdom is visible for those who have been born again. It's the present, visible, invisible reality. That's what godliness means. I mean, it's, it's this greater unseen dimension that is the dimension of our focus. Paul says in 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 Colossians, set your heart on the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things of this earth, the double dimension of our lives. That's godliness. Being focused on something that can't be seen. I almost started the, this, this message, and maybe I should have, with this exercise. Close your eyes and feel God's hug. And what you feel in the physical is absolutely real. That's not the spiritual world. That's your world. That's the heavenly. That's the epuranos of Ephesians. That's the heavenly places where you are seated. Seated. You think you're sitting in a black. You're sitting in a black, comfortable chair, and your 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 vehicle is sitting in a nice, comfortable chair. But that's your vehicle. That's not you. Man, above all else, is a spirit. And this vehicle I have takes me from here to the lunchroom when it's lunchtime. And this vehicle that I have takes me from the lunchroom to my room... And this vehicle I have brought me down here this morning because I can't get around without my vehicle. But that's not me. 
I live in the other greater dimension. God is seeking those who worship him in in spirit and in truth. Man above all other things is spirit. And having that focus is the beginning of godliness. Godliness and righteousness are somewhat are somewhat related. Righteousness has to which is right living, righteousness, right living, uh, um, in in Spanish, and I suspect in Portuguese there's a confusion here, they use the word justicia, Uh, it's not justicia, it's rectidao, rectitud, for righteousness, that has to do with my relationship with my peers, with people around me, godliness has to do with my focus in God. And it has to do with three, there are three elements to it. The fear of God, the love of God, and the desire for God. That's godliness. The fear of God, the love of God, and the desire for God. All three of these focus upon God. The practice of godliness is an exercise or a discipline that focuses Upon him. And from this Godward attitude arises the character and conduct that we usually think of as a godly person. It comes from that focus. Not focus, not a horizontal focus. It's an other world focus. And from him we learn how to live. That's the beginning of godliness. Let, let's go on. I, 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 there's a lot more involved with that, but uh, we'll leave that for another day. Uh, what's important to the, God, to the man of God? Okay. Basically, uh, it's, it's uh, in a phrase, it's being all that God wants him to be. <laughs> That's what's important. Jerry, when you yeah. have a text, maybe you can uh, express the text for the recording. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Because I don't have them here, I hope. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, oh, uh, yeah, okay, like First Timothy 1, 18 and 19. Okay, but since I'm not reading the text and I don't have them here, sorry. Um, but I'll, I'll try to remember, okay. Um, Paul instructs, a, Paul gives this instruction to Timothy, and I find this extremely, extremely interesting. When he, when uh, we, we always need to keep in mind those things that were prophesied over us. This has been said twice since I arrived here in uh, in uh, Kuspaka. No, um, we we must always keep in mind those things that have been prophesied over us as they keep us steady and steadfast. The words that we have received from God keep us on track. They keep us on track. And that's what Paul is, is telling Timothy about. <laughs> I, I found this. I have, I've only received a very few dreams or visions or prophetic utterances in my life, but I remember every one of them. I remember every one of them. And my life has been marked by them. Totally marked by them. They keep me on track. After all, what is life for us except the constant pursuit of the will and the glory of God? If I forget the prophecies, I start doing what I want to do. But remembering the prophecies keep me on track. These expressions of God help us fight the battle well without losing faith, without sacrificing a good conscience. But we must recall them. He, he, he mentions here in 1 Timothy 4, 11 to 14, this same example. Do not neglect the gift which was given to you through prophecy. When the body of elders laid their hands on you. This is a great beginning 
for a person's life in the Lord and particularly, obviously, in ministry. The laying on of hands of the elders. If no one has ever prayed a prophetic utterance over you, huh, then you should open yourself up to that. You should ask for the elders or someone else to pray for you, to prophesy over you, to get a word of, from God, not to invent a prophecy. I don't like these, these prophetic uh, conferences where everybody gets in a line and they have a prophecy for everybody. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people perceiving a real word of God for you. And getting that. And even open yourself up to dreams and to, and to visions no, from God. And once you get it, never forget it. Write it down. Review it often. Tell your story to others. They will be encouraged. Pray about it. It's a great challenge not to neglect the gift and not to forget the prophecies. What's your prayer time like? <laughs> Do you keep a journal? Do you remember the words that God by his spirit speaks to you in that time? And what's your fellowship with the body of Christ like? Are you open to people praying and speaking from God into your life? Do you hear from God? Do you write down what he says about you? If you don't write it down, in 20 years, you won't remember it. And many times prophecies are long-term. We're wanting something that tells me what I have to do next weekend. Many times the prophecies of God are long-term. And we need to write them down. We need to remember them. Paul is instructing Timothy, don't forget it. Hmm? And, and to write it down is keeping in step with God. God has given us gifts to be used in the pursuit of his will and his glory. What is not used is lost. What is not used is lost. If your gift is lost or diminished, our mission is is diminished. No. And the entire body of Christ suffers. Why do I say that? Because we were all given gifts, but they weren't for our own consumption. They were for the good of everyone. God, in his tremendous wisdom, when, when Jesus ascended, the Bible says... He gave gifts to men. He didn't ever again in history give all the gifts to one man. He never did that again. He did that in Jesus. Jesus had the plenty, the fullness of God in him. And everything that is in God was in Jesus. And all of the gifts of the Spirit that were given later after he ascended can be found in him. He has the complete fullness of Christ in him. And that complete fullness of Christ exists today in the church. Not in any one person. He was smarter than that because he knows us. He knew that if he'd give Sammy all of the gifts, Sammy would be more impossible to deal with than he is now. Oh, sorry, Sammy. He couldn't give all of the gifts to anybody. It was too dangerous. He spread them out. And if what I received is lost or diminished or falls into disuse, I am affecting everybody else in the body of Christ.
I really like what Paul is telling Timothy here because he's not to neglect the the gifts. No, um, yeah. I don't know where I don't know where I am here. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Other things that are talking about uh, things that are essential and what's really important to the man of God. As he states here in 1 Timothy 4, be an example. Probably one of the most important things that we can do. Set an example for the believers, is the way Paul puts it. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, Paul tells the the Philippians. And the God of peace will be with you. He also says in Titus chapter 2, he says, Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled, and in everything set them an example by doing what is good. Set them example. My friends, the church doesn't lack for teaching. What the church lacks are examples. Role models. People to be followed. It's, it, it, and this is so important because, I mean, how do people learn best? By a good teaching or by a good example? By both. That was a trap. We have to have the teaching. But the teacher has to be an example. We need examples. We need fathers who are examples for their children. You want your children to read the Bible in their spare time? Yeah. Where are they going to learn that? From you. As they see you reading the Bible in your spare time. Where do your children learn to confess their sins? Hey, folks, this is a tough one. Where do your children learn to confess their sins? When they hear you confessing your sins to them. Greatest privileges I've ever had in my life. We had this routine in our house. My kids and my wife went to the same school because my wife was the secretary of the church the school secretary, and so um, they, all got, they all got up in the morning, and while they were getting ready, I would make breakfast. And we always had, you know, ni- almost as nice a breakfast as we've had here, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. We had your typical American breakfast. We'd have pancakes, or we'd have waffles, or we'd have eggs and bacon, or we'd have biscuits and gravy. And I, I, I like to do all that kind of stuff, you know. And so I would get up early, and I'd make breakfast while they were getting ready for school. And then we'd all sit down at the table and have breakfast together. Uh, that was extremely important for me. We even did that after the kids were in high school because that was one of our times of being together. I don't know how many times... I was able to take advantage of that moment to confess my sins to my family. My daughter later, later years went off to college. She went to California. One day I received a telephone call, and that was before the, the cell phone service and the WhatsApps and all this stuff. I mean, I can't imagine what that phone call cost, cost her. And she called up. She started off with some small talk. I knew something was up. And she says, Dad, I need to confess a sin. Where did she learn to do that? She heard me many times. We need to be examples. We need to be examples. 
My wife and I confess our sins one to another, pray for one another so that we can be healed. We need to be examples. Uh, Three minutes, okay. Uh, What does a man of God fight for? For what does he fight? Uh, I think I think I'm gonna I'm gonna skip that one. I think you can read that one on your own. You pretty much know where you're. You know what what it is. I mean, we 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 have to be. You know, there are certain things we fight for. And we it, basically it's in the faith. I wanted to get to this one. What does a man of God flee from? And this this is uh, to me is 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 pretty important, you know, because we don't have we don't have a clear concept. Sometimes um, we have to choose our battles. Okay, this is this actually comes from the section before. What does a man fight? A man of God fight for? You have to choose your battles. Okay, there's certain things that just aren't worth worth the effort, and there are other things that there really are. But in this case, we have to choose those things that we're going to avoid. We're not going to fight for these. And 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 uh, Paul mentions several of them. One was godless chatter. You know, there's some people. Uh, I'm sorry, this is First Timothy uh, six twenty. Uh, there are some people that just can't keep quiet. You ever known any of those? I mean, okay, I have to admit, I'm a loner, okay? I really am. I'm a, I'm a loner, you know? There are people that get together in, in, in situations like this to charge their batteries, you know, in conferences like this. And that's fabulous. I admire you. <laughs> because after a conference like this, I need to be by myself to charge my batteries. These type of things, that's just, that's just the way we are. And so people that just can't shut up, you know, I realize that sometimes they affect me more than they affect other people. But, but there's another element in this. You know, somebody that just can't keep quiet. They're always talking. They always have a story. They always have an opinion to express. They just chatter. Chatter. You know, is that word okay? Okay, good. Ch- I don't know if you've heard of the term chatterbox. You know, that's what, you, that's what we used to call a little kid that just talked all the time. He was a chatterbox. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and many times the chatter is about Godless things. That is to say God's not in it anywhere. You can't find him anywhere. You know, it's Godless, okay? Now, Godless is not the same as ungodly. Ungodly is something that would be against God. Or his principles. This is godless. He's just plain absent. And that's the word he's using. Godless chatter. You need to avoid this. huh? It, it, it's just empty. Just to talk for talking. God's not found in it anywhere. That's godless chatter. Proverbs tells us something that's really interesting, though. <laughs> it's better to keep your mouth shut. You know, and let people think you're just really smart. Instead of opening your mouth and removing all doubt. That's it. Hey, that's in Proverbs. I didn't make this up, huh? That's, that's there. That's in Proverbs. Hey, this thing's going to go off. Oh, no, no, no. I'm already against the clock. Okay. Uh, the, Godless chatter is one of them. Okay. And, and, and because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. And that's in 2 Timothy 2.16. You have to understand, godless chatter has its cost. And people who are involved in that become more and more ungodly. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because you know that they only produce quarrels. That's in 2 Timothy 2.23. We're going fast because I'm I'm already over. Okay. Uh, He also says... Hmm? Hello? There we go. He says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. What are wives' tales? I'm glad this is a men's conference. (laughs) Wives' tales, urban legend. Spurious information, usually without any substantial basis at all. 
Avoid it. Don't do it. Godless myths. You know, there are a lot of godless myths. I'm, I'm guessing the battery's probably getting up. There are a lot of godless myths that are the result in the church, the result of a bad hermeneutic. Let me give you one example. We always, you know, when I was growing up, they always said this, God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard of that? Try to find that one in the Bible. It's not even in Proverbs. That's an old wives' tale. Huh? That's a myth. And, and I'm, I don't want to fight with anybody today, so I'm going to stop right there with the examples, but there are tons of them. We have a horrible hermeneutic of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we create traditions and phrases just like that that are just as untrue. And Paul says, hey, don't go down that road, okay? And then he says, flee the evil desires of youth. Yeah, 2 Timothy 2, 22. Oh, obvious reasons, right. Have nothing to do with such people. Uh, I, I know I'm over, but if we can... Okay, yeah, because in the second, I, you, can, you can take away some of my time for this. Okay. Uh, have nothing to do with such people. Yeah, I bet you didn't know that was in there. Yeah, and Paul is telling them, he, Paul is telling uh, this guy, he says, um, yeah, don't have anything to do with these people. And what kind of people is he talking about? Um, uh, let me let me let me let me let me find it because I've gone way past where where it was. <laughs> okay, well I don't I don't find it, but that's that's okay. Uh, yeah, but I don't. Yeah, I've I've got the the text on here, but um, uh, what kind of what kind of people? Ah, here it is. Egotistical, greedy. Braggards, people that brag about themselves. Proud, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, sinful, unloving, resentful, slanderous, loose living, brutal, those that love darkness rather than light, treacherous, self-centered, hot-headed, self-indulgent party animals. That's what he's talking about. I just used a modern translation. Found in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. You know, he, he's saying, don't have anything to do. He says, Timothy, avoid these people. I remember when I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to finish with this, the first part. I, when I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous time. It was a memorable day. It was a memorable time. But there, there were, I received some instructions that very same night, a day, it was in the daytime. I received one of the instructions was I had to cut off a relationship with a friend. God told me that night. I had to end that relationship. <laughs> and the crazy thing was this friend was a fellow North American and a missionary. Yeah. Was the guy a bad guy? No, probably not. The problem was in me. Because this guy brought out the worst in me. And God told me that night, he said, cut your relationship with Roger. It wasn't because Roger was evil. It was because it was a, a toxic relation for me. And it, pro, it produced in me fruits that weren't from God. And he was not a sinful person. 
But that's what happened in my life. There are some people you need to avoid. Don't consider yourself strong enough to just continue in a relationship that produces evil in you. Whether it's evil thoughts, actions, expressions. Do not continue in that relationship. The, God, the man of God cannot be with everybody. There are people he needs to avoid. I'm a coward at heart. I basically didn't say anything. I just didn't continue the relationship. I mean, he, under, he finally figured it out. But if, what am I going to say? God doesn't want me to have anything to do with you. I mean, how's he going to feel? You know? And I, I struggled with that. I mean, you know, what do we do? No, it wasn't an issue with Roger. It was an issue with me. But there are a certain class of people that no man of God should have a close relationship with. And here's a whole list of them. One of the things that we must avoid are relationships with people that do not edify us in the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't have some dealings with people in the world because like Paul says, if you do that, we're going to have to leave the world. No, no, no. We can have relations with people in the world, but for one purpose, to bring them into the life of Christ. But not to be their intimate friends. No. That's Dangerous. Okay. Let's leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Yes. For now. Okay. Hallelujah.